Shining Star. It's a song by Earth, Wind, and Fire. And uh, it says, you're a shining star no matter who you are, shining bright to see what you can truly be. You know, everybody wants to, to be a star. We're, we're kind of enamored with stars in our society, whether it be a sports star or Hollywood star. And, uh, but some of those stars, well, they don't shine so bright, but that's part of our society. And then, then we've got stars in the sky. You know, we, we gaze at stars. We, we even wish upon stars. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Stars kind of capture our imagination. You know, Scripture talks a lot about stars. You know, God promised Abraham to make his descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then we got the prophecy that was fulfilled, but it was told in the book of Numbers that a star would appear in the sky, declaring our, our Savior's birth. We celebrate a lot around that star. Book of Psalms tells us that God not only created the stars, but He determined the number of stars in the sky. And not just that, He named every star. The psalmist calls later for the entire universe, the stars, to, to praise. It says, Praise Him, sun and moon, praise Him, all ye shining stars. You know, even creation is to praise God. And then, and then Paul comes along, and Paul calls Christians to be stars. He calls them to live a pure and holy life, a God-honoring life. Why? Well, he says, among these people, you shine like the star, like the stars in the world, because you hold on to the word of life. You know, as Christians, we are called to be shining stars in this world. No matter who you are, if you're a Christian, you're to shine, and you're to shine bright. And how do you do that? Well, Paul says, by holding on to the word of life, God's word. You know, we're in this series, we're calling it Soul. And what we're going to do is look at some songs that are found in scriptures, particularly the book of Psalms, which is songs. It's a part of scripture known as a wisdom literature. And we're going to focus on our souls and God working in in us. And so today what I want to do, I want to focus on uh, Psalm 1, the very first psalm. You know, it's a beautiful, beautiful psalm that uh, it's, it's full of wisdom. I believe that it is a song that's worth singing that I believe we should embed it in our hearts, that it will, if we do that, it will lead you to being a shining star in your faith. You know, and basically this psalm is going to contrast two ways of living. One way will lead to blessings in your life. It will lead to vitality, to productivity, to security, you know, this way of living, I believe, is really good for your soul. It does your soul good. The other way, it leads to unhappiness. It, it, it is draining. It's unproductive. And ultimately, if you stay on that path, it will destroy your soul. The psalmist starts out, verse 1 and 2, he says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked 
or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but who delights is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his laws day and night. He's contrasting two types of living. One way we are living like the world. We're living without God. The other way, we're centering our life on God. We delight in God's laws. We, we meditate on them consistently and regularly. And so the psalmist, to help us understand this, gives us a very uh, vivid and memorable kind of imagery that, that w- so that we can follow along. It goes, the person is like a tree planted by, a, by streams of water, which yield its fruit in season and whose li- leaves do not wither, whether they... Whatever they do, they prosper. You know, the psalmist wants us to think about a way of life that is about a tree, that we become a tree, that this tree, it's planted by streams of water. You know, not just one stream, but several streams. You know, I think we have a little difficulty with this because we live in the Midwest, and we've got trees all around us, don't we? I mean, you really notice it this time of the year because the trees are budding and, and they're flowering and they're just the green, it screams. But the psalmist, when he wrote this, the psalmist audience, most of them lived in a desert climate where trees tend to be kind of scraggly, unproductive. In fact, many trees would die for lack of water. And so this tree that he's talking about, it's planted by multiple streams. It is never going to lack for having water. And because it has water, it's going to yield fruit. You can count on it. You can take it to the bank. It, It will never have its leaves withering. And that's what the song proclaims. I mean, how do you know when a tree needs water? Its leaves start to wither. The the psalmist is creating this picture of a tree that is in really great shape. It's a shining star in the desert. It stands out. On a scale 1 to 10, this tree, it's a 10. It's healthy. It's vibrant and alive. And because this is a contrast song... The, the psalmist needs to find the polar opposite to that living tree. And so he says, not so with the wicked. They're like chaff that the wind blows away. Now, what's chaff? I mean, is it something you have for breakfast or put on your salad? You know, make kitty litter out of it? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, chaff is the covering of the seed, but chaff's the debris. It's, the chaff's what you want to separate from the seed, from the grain. It, it, if it gets mixed in with the produce, nobody wants it. Nobody's going to pay you for the chaff. Chaff is worthless. It's dead. It's not productive in any way. It has no value. Harvesters in that day, they, they would gather grain in a big basket, and, and they would toss it in the air. And as they tossed it in the air, the chaff, because it's real light, the wind would catch it and it would blow it away. So that you just have grain left. 
the, the psalmist wants us to get that picture because the psalmist is going to tell us the end for, for this. The end for the, the chaff. It says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to what? Destruction. All right. Do you have the picture? Two different ways of living. Two very, very different outcomes. This is the contrast that the psalmist is making. There's a tree. It's strong. It's vital. It's productive. This tree is being resourced by the multiple streams around it. It's beautiful. It's going to last for decades. Maybe in some cases, even for generations. And then we've got this dead, worthless stuff, this chaff. Now, the psalmist is going to confront us. He's going to confront the reader with these two ways of life. He says, you know, what do you want your life to be like? You get to choose, here or here. Do you want to be like the tree, or do you want to be like the chaff? You get to decide. The choice is yours, you get to make it, and whichever you choose, it will be very evident in your life. Your life is heading either this way or this way. You can't kind of do the balance. You're either moving toward this or moving toward this. You're either more like the tree or you're more like the chaff, one or the other. Now the psalmist is going to say that for you to become more like the the tree in your life, what you're going to have to do to become more like the tree, you've got to lower your engagement level in certain areas of your life. And you have to basically dramatically raise your your engagement level in other areas of your life. So basically, you've got to walk away from some stuff and you've got to dive in to some other stuff if you're going to be like the tree. The psalmist says that we have got to stop listening to the counsel of the world. We've got to quit standing in, with, with sinners, you know, hanging out with mockers. And that word's kind of strange. Some translations say scoffers. You know, what's it mean? Well, the psalmist is saying that if you are serious about God, and let's be frank, a lot of people aren't serious about God. They just aren't. But if you're serious about God, and you're serious about having a vital, joy-filled, productive life where your soul's nourished, you have to limit your exposure to influences that mock God that dismiss God, that take God lightly. You've got to steer clear of some things. You just do. I mean, what kind of things? You know, what should we be avoiding? You know, would it be people or, or ideologies or media stuff? And what I want to do in the next few minutes is, and I know as I start, some of you are going to think that I have died and a fundamentalist Baptist preacher's taken over my body, but anyway, we'll uh, go with it. But I want to set a context here. 
Paul writes this in uh, 1 Corinthians 10.23. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial. All things are lawful, but not all things, what? Build up. You see, the point that Paul is making is that as a Christ follower, we enjoy tremendous, enormous freedom in our lives. Christianity is not, in essence, and we talk about this often around here, it is not about keeping rules. It's not about jumping through religious hoops. Christianity, friends, at its core, it is not legalistic. Christianity, at its core, is about a relationship with Jesus Christ and God. And I wish everybody understood that. I wish everybody in the world understood that. But Christianity, at its core, is human beings in relationship with an almighty God. You know, some of the daily activities that we get involved in, some of the environments that you're in, enhance your relationship with God. Some of the stuff that we get involved in detract from your relationship with God. It's just the nature of things. Paul is agreeing with the psalmist here. And without being legalistic, he's saying, as a Christian, you must figure out what enhances your relationship with God. You've got to figure it out. And you have to figure out also what detracts from your relationship with God. And then you make a decision accordingly in your life. The psalmist says, you know, some people, some of the things that you get engaged in, some of the activities, some of the environments, they may seem fine and dandy. In fact, word on the street is nine out of ten people will say, hey, it's okay. But... The net effect of all those people, all those activities, all those environments, all those things begin to dull your spirit. They make God seem kind of distant, kind of quiet, kind of powerless in your life. These things, now hear this, these things may not be evil. They may not be bad. They may not be inherently wrong. But these things, make no doubt about it, they will suck the life out of your relationship with God. And the psalmist is saying, as Paul was saying, it is your job to figure it out. You've got to figure out what is having a deadening effect on your relationship with God. And you've got to cut it out of your life. You've got to get rid of it. I mean, if you're really serious about God, now, I was talking to a guy a while back, and this guy spent a lot of time in the bar. I mean, a lot of time. And he said everybody in the bar knew that he had a spot. And nobody ever got in his spot, because it was his spot. And everybody knew that about him. Now, he, his words, he said, as soon as I got off work, I'd head there, and I would stay till they were closed. And he said, I only maybe have a beer or two. 
But he said, you know what? When I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I never went back. Now, this is what really stuck with me out of that conversation. You know, he looked at me and he said, you know, Damon, I have wasted a good portion of my life sitting in that place. And I am never going back. See, he had clarity for a moment. He had clarity. See, there's nothing wrong in and of itself with being in a bar. There's nothing wrong with having a drink. There's plenty wrong with getting drunk. But there's nothing wrong. And here we've got this guy, and being drunk wasn't the issue for him. It was just he spent all this time there. You see, he realized in that moment that that place had a deadening effect on his spiritual life and on his soul. And that is true for a lot of people. And so he made a decision, a very conscious decision, and he said, no more. No more. You know, Paul might put it this way. You know, the Apostle Paul would say, it's lawful to go to places like that, but it might not be beneficial. It's lawful, but it might not be edifying Again, issue of the soul, issue of the soul. And and here's my first question, and I'm going to probe around a little bit with you. But do any of you frequent places that deaden your soul? I mean, do you? You know, where are they? What are they? And I know as I'm talking right now, some of you are deflecting, and you're going, well, I don't hang out in a bar. That's, that's not my point. See, the point is there are some things, there are some things that even if they're good, they detract from your relationship with God. You know, it might be watching TV. It might be web time. It might be some activity or some sport or some league or some club Again, it doesn't have to necessarily be inherently wrong. But what it does, it consumes your energy. It consumes your focus. It consumes your time. In fact, I would encourage you to do a little bit of an inventory in your life to assess the activities and the environments and the stuff that that you're involved in. And just ask yourself this. After you've been to wherever it is, after you've done whatever it is, after you've finished an activity or been involved in whatever, ask yourself the simple question. Did it enhance or detract from my relationship with God? You will get clarity. You know, the psalmist is asking, he goes, you know, how much of your life are you willing to waste in certain environments? How much of your life are you going to waste? At some point, you have to say, no more. No more. This environment, this activity is turning my life into chaff. You know, my soul is withering up in me. It doesn't set me up to to be a, a tree that's planted by streams. It doesn't set me up to be watered and nourished. It doesn't set me up to bear fruit in my life. It doesn't set me up to be like a tree that will never wither. 
and that we'll always prosper. Now, I was talking to a young man, in fact, a very young man, a couple weeks ago, and uh, he was talking to me about his relationship with God. And I thought it was real interesting, his perspective. And he just said, you know, I've been thinking about this a lot. He said, I've been thinking if I talk to God as much as I text. In fact, he said, if I spend a third of the time just talking to God instead of texting. He goes, I, I'd really be close to God. He said, I think I would be a better Christian This is a teenager. See, there's nothing wrong with texting, unless it's during my message and I'm watching. (laughs) No, I know some of you uh, post uh, points and stuff, but uh, there's nothing wrong with texting. But if the net effect of your activity is that it, it hurts your soul keeps you from activities that will nurture your soul, yeah, there's something wrong. You know, I talked to, to a woman a while back that uh, she had a very, uh, one of those moments of clarity, and she was saying, you know, I work out about two hours a day. But she said, you know, something's wrong because I can't find two minutes for God. And she goes, I, I think if I was as concerned about my spiritual fitness as I am about my physical fitness, she goes, I'm pretty sure my life would be transformed. See, that the point Paul's making, the point that the psalmist is making here is all you have to do to have a soul that's like chaff is to be mindless about your environments. Be mindless about the activities that you get involved in, or that your family's involved in. And then you can almost guarantee yourself that your soul will wither up and die. And friends, make no mistake about it, our culture specializes in creating chaff-like souls. And it will destroy your soul if you're not careful. The psalmist The psalmist says it's some people don't want that in their life. They don't want that stuff that shrivels up and it dies. They do not want to get tossed in the air and blown away. No, they don't want that. They want to be a tree. You know, there are people that want to be a tree. They want to be productive. They want to be vital. They want to be effective. They want to be alive. They want to have a future. And the psalmist is saying, all right, if that's the program you prefer... Here's what you do. I mean, this is shining star living that you can start pursuing. Again, back to the first verse. It says, blessed is the one who delights. Who delight is the law of the Lord and who meditates on his laws day and night. Delights in the law. I mean, what's that mean? Simply means taking pleasure, joy in doing the laws of God. Laws of the Lord, you know, in, in Scripture, it's, it's following Scripture. It's New and Old Testament, by the way. 
to meditate on them, to, to not just read them, but to ponder them, to apply them, when? Day and night. Now, last time I checked, that's a lot of time, isn't it? Day and night, day and night. Now, here's my concern, that not enough people at Faith Fellowship delight in the laws of God, and that a high percentage don't meditate on God's Word. In fact, that few read God's Word privately and daily and humbly and with a surrendered heart and uh, application kind of mindset in their life. You know, I'm concerned that too many Christians do not sit down with their children and engage them with the Word of God on their level so that they can understand it. Again, not legalistic or militaristic. uh, That just drives kids away from God. But to creatively engage your children and your grandchildren. Why? So their young minds can begin to get a vision of a tree, living like a tree instead of chaff. So that they learn that very, very early in life. You know, I'm concerned because of all the competing messages in our world. It is media overload, isn't it, in our culture? And what I'm concerned is that the Bible loses in that competition. I mean, how how does God's word, black and white print, how does it ever compete with what you can watch on the flat screen? On your computer? The Xbox? And here's what really just bothers me. You know, our kids can read a like 715-page Harry Potter book. Again, I don't have anything against Harry Potter. But they'll read that, and we'll talk to them about it. But we don't have time to read seven verses of Scripture and talk to them about that. Friends, you can easily, if you are not careful, cave in and let the influences of our culture sweep over your family, sweep over your children, and turn you into chaff. You know, my grandkids, when they're down, uh, they love going to the zone. And one of the things we, we do every time they're down at lunch, we talk about what we learned. You know, sometimes they go, nothing, you know, but we'll drag it out of them. And sometimes they just can't hardly wait to talk. Tree building, friends. It's tree building. It's helping press against our chaff building culture. You know, God loves you. God designed you. You are fearfully, wonderfully made. You hear me celebrate that often. But part of what we are made to run on part of what keeps our soul nourished and alive, part of what gives us the capacity to run on all eight cylinders is the encouragement and the direction and the conviction and the inspiration that you find in God's word. You know, John 6, uh, Jesus says, the words I speak to you are life. 
And a couple verses later, Peter says to Jesus, he says, you alone have the words of life. If you're going to, to really live, I mean really live, you've got to get into God's word. You know, Proverbs writes, says, my child, pay attention to what I say. Listen carefully to my words. Do not lose sight of them. Let them penetrate deep into your heart. For they bring life to those who find them and healing to their whole body. Psalmist says if, if you engage in God's word, if you do it regularly, if you trust it, if you begin to apply it in your life, before you fully realize it, your soul comes alive. You find yourself thinking more about God. You find that through the day you walk a little closer to God. You, you feel God's presence. You feel God's power as you're living life, as he whispers to you, affirms you. You'll shine bright. Why? Because your soul's alive and people notice it. But it's a choice you got to make. We all have to make that choice. You know, I want you to imagine for a moment what would happen if every person, every family here, decided that they were going to stop sitting, stop standing, stop walking with worthless, lifeless activities and relationships. If we were to just say, no more of that. What would happen if we just said, no more chaff stuff? You know, what if we said in a new way, guided by the Holy Spirit, that we were going to reflect and apply God's word in our life? You know, in our marriages, in our families, in our children, in our grandchildren. What, what would happen? I mean, what would happen if we started using, how many of you commute to work? I do, I've got to walk down my steps. But, uh, you know, what if you were to, when you commute to work, to take that time and just listen to God's word? whether it was being taught or, or read or sung. I mean, imagine what would happen if every family that calls Faith Fellowship home were, were to make a commitment to making sure they had a piece of that in their life. What if when some of you are out jogging and walking and exercising, you were to listen to some of God's word while you're doing that? So that as you're strengthening your body, you're strengthening your soul. Imagine if everybody would turn off the TV, turn off the computer, turn off whatever screen you've got in front of you for just a half hour and use that time to feed your soul. Can you imagine what would happen? Can, can you imagine what would happen if everybody made a point of being here, where we teach and sing God's word on a weekly basis? Can you imagine what would happen? I mean, I, I've seriously just lost count of how many times I've had conversations with people after the service, they'll come up and they're emotional and, and they, it's very apparent they've been touched by God in a, a powerful, significant way. And they'll, they'll say this, they'll go, I almost didn't come today. 
And you know, if you've ever said that to me, that normally I will kind of launch into a little bit and say, you know, as a Christian, there's one decision you make about church, and that is where you go to church. It's not if we go to church. It's not, well, we'll go to church this week if the Cardinals aren't in town or the Rams aren't in town. We'll go to church this week if we're not too tired. We'll go to church this week, and I love this, if it's not too cold, too rainy, too snowy, or too nice. Well, well. I'll go to church this week if we don't have something better to do. Friends, you know, Paul writes, he says, let us be concerned for one another. To help one another to show love and to do good. Let us not give up. Here we go. The habit of meeting together, as some are doing. Instead, let us encourage one another all the more since you see that the day of the Lord is coming near. He's talking about there being an end to this life. When two or more are gathered together, the Holy Spirit works in very unique ways. See, you've got to stop all the stuff, all this stuff that, that is sidetracking you. If you want to be a tree, if you want to be a shining star that Paul calls us to be, there's really only one decision about church, and that's where. Now, if, if there's a church that syncs up better with you and your family then you need to go there. It's okay. But if this is where God's called you, then you need to be here. You need to establish a routine in your life. So that why? So you can become a tree. So your family can become trees, not chaff. Can can you imagine for a moment a couple, if they were struggling in their marriage, can you imagine them reading and studying God's word and taking to heart a scripture like this, 1 Corinthians, the love chapter. It says, love is patient, love is kind. It isn't jealous, it does not brag, it is not arrogant, it is not rude, it does not seek its own advantage. It isn't irritable. It doesn't keep a record of complaints. It isn't happy with injustice, but is happy with truth. Love puts up with all things, trusts all things, hopes for all things, endures all things. Love never fails. See, that's life-giving. I mean, imagine somebody is battling with, with sin in their life, and they're broken, they maybe feel worthless in their life. Can you imagine them reaching for their Bible and reading a verse like this? But then I decided to confess my sins to the Lord. I stopped hiding my guilt and told you about my sins and you forgave them all. Imagine being at a funeral. Somebody that you love, your your heart's heavy. And imagine somebody reading this psalm. You know, Psalm 34, 18 says... The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Gives you life. I mean, friends, whatever the situation is, I have found God's word, it is life-giving. 
You know, imagine living a life where you're guided by God's word, where you're directed, where you're encouraged, you're, you're comforted, you're, you're nourished by God's word. Imagine, imagine if we all did that. We all made that choice. It'd be a forest out here. We'd be all trees. We'd be trees that are yielding fruit, trees that never wither, trees that, that prosper. And then you'd really be alive, really living. In fact, I would say we would be shining star examples of what God's word's capable of doing in our lives. Here's the deal. I hope that everybody here will decide with me and say, you know what? I want to be a tree. I want to be a tree. I want my soul full of life. I want to be full of God. And if that's what you want, then you've got to make a decision. And for some of you, that means you need a new rhythm in your life. You know, those things that you're going to have to make a choice. You know, a choice to do. To do this week. Just pick one thing. You know, one thing that you know is distracting you from God and say, you know what? I'm done with it. No more chaff stuff. And then pursue one thing that will enhance your relationship with God. You know, maybe it's some of the stuff we talked about. Maybe it's using your commute or your workout time. I don't know. Maybe you've got a better idea. It's okay. Find something, though. Find something, anything that will deepen your roots and nourish your soul. You know, with God's word, what you find, you get direction and purpose, and you really can shine. You know, in the, this desert chaff-producing society that we live in. You know, with God's word nourishing you, you can be that shining star. No matter who you are, Shining bright to see, for the world to truly see, and for you to truly be. You know? Let's, let's bow in a word of prayer together. God, we praise you. God, I pray that you would help us to move toward tree-like living. God, I pray you'd just throw up flags and signals and warnings, whatever's needed, that we'd realize some of the chaff-producing junk in our life. Some of it, it's good stuff, but it's detracting us from you. God, I pray you'd just clarify for us what needs to change, what needs to go, what we need to do. God, I thank you for each individual here, each family, I pray that uh, your Holy Spirit would just guide us, that you would, um, whatever words we need to hear, that we would find them in, in your scriptures, that we'd find hope, that we would find a future. God, we thank you for your amazing grace and amazing love. God, as we walk through this life, I pray that we'd hold tight to you. It's in Christ's holy name we pray. And God's people said,